You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions, or even the answers, are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and joining me, as always, is my trusted co-host, Ben Triplett, and we are coming to you live from Aqueduct Conference Center here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina today. Ben, how you doing, man? We are spring is sprung. We are here in the south, and everything is coated in yellow dust from the glories of pollen, which someone had recently said, ah... There's a lot of tree sex going on. There's a torrent of sneezing, torrent sweeping of sneezing, across yes. the North Carolina plains. But actually, I do, I do enjoy the flowers. I do enjoy the greenery. I do enjoy the fact that winter is not coming. Past. Yes, winter is leaving us. So, yeah. in the hopes that Jon Snow is still alive, I don't really know. We'll see. I, th- I think he is. You think he is? There's a huge debate on this one. So, speaking about debates. Um, and you guys just kind of walk with us a little on this trail because we will eventually get to... Our whole goal today is kind of talking about that conflict between science and religion. Uh, and what better way to start it off by talking about Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went and saw it with some friends and my two boys on uh, this past like weekend. And uh, going into it, I knew it was like, I think in the 20s on Rotten Tomatoes, which is usually like 20%. not... 20%? Yes, it's... Wow, it's I didn't the, know it was that. Damn. Yeah, it was It was one of those things where you kind of just kind of watched it drop over the weekend. For those that actually check back for Rotten Tomatoes over the weekend, yeah. I, I'm probably the only one that does that kind of weirdness. But um, but so when we, we went in, uh, mainly my goal was just, one, just to go have fun with my boys and mm-hmm. uh, watch it because that's been one of my favorite things to do is kind of go to the theater and then really just enjoy watching it um, almost just like due to the expressions and reactions that they have. <laughs> Because yeah. they like, I mean, it was yeah. I, I think that I liked Star Wars: The The Force Awakens better simply just because my uh, my youngest son's like eyes were like and like he was just like totally overtaken by like the scope and everything else of it. They don't have the seasoned palates of high criticism yet. Season, yeah, see, season to be or, able or to crusty palates and say like, that Bleh. it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they or, walk, or another way that was very tongue in cheek. They can appreciate lots of things, which I wish more people would be able to do. They do. They have like, and, and that's what you notice about your kids, and especially when they're younger. There's that that sense of wonder is kind of pretty great mm-hmm. within them, and it begins to diminish. Hopefully, not as much as both we are being cynical and crusty, snarky, snarky folks. Jinx. Um, oh, snarky jinx. I owe you two cokes. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, so watched it, and one. I thought it was interesting because I do think some of the outrage was unfounded. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I didn't think it was a bad movie. I mean, I don't think it was a, the greatest movie I've ever seen, but like, especially with all the superhero stuff lately, there's been very few of them that I've, I've walked away from and gone like, dang, like that is, that's just a good movie. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was fine. I mean, I didn't have any issues with the characters, the actors, the story. Most of the things that people were upset with was just because they don't know the comic book universe. Like when you read reviews. It might just, this might be my bias, but I feel like in today's age, people shouldn't be 
really upset with a lot of stuff that they are. I think that we just build expectation for some reason. Like yeah. we, we are constantly looking for the next big thing. I mean, you see it in sports all the time. That's where it annoys me that, you know, people talk about things and build expectations for mm-hmm. an athlete and they don't pan out and it's not their fault. And it can happen in movies too. You know, you have, I mean, and we were talking about this before. It's, this is a tough Batman movie to make after the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Which in my opinion was just, I mean, the best of all comic book movies. Um, and, you know, it's going to have that expectation, but that's not necessarily fair. True. You know, you, you've got to let it stand on its own. It's a different director. It's a different, you know, viewpoint. And all movies are like that. I mean, there are definitely some lazy movies. There are some movies that deserve the, the poo-pooing that they get. But, uh, you know, uh, to have high expectations for every single thing that comes out in media, I think if you can sort of choke back and see that, you know, movies, the it's an industry that they're, sure. I mean, it's a business. They're trying to make money. Most of the time they're putting stuff out so that it'll make big numbers. Then you can lower your expectations and just enjoy mindless entertainment for a little while. Yeah. Because and that's I, pretty much what m- movies are. No, you're right. I mean, I felt like for me, it was uh, I, my expectations being, I want to go watch a fun popcorn movie. Yeah, sure. And so what's your family. Uh, like yeah. You said. And, and I was, I mean, I was totally fine with that. I mean, it wasn't like my, you know, I, I there's sometimes when you watch movies and they really move you or they, you know, they really make you think. And, mm-hmm. you know, any movie called Batman versus Superman, I don't think it's really going for that completely. You know, yeah. th- I mean, yeah, there, there were certain like political undertones to it. And, um, and, and I would agree, like one thing I think that, especially when we, when we look towards critics of things, I think you need to look to educated critics of things. And just the, probably the best review I read out there was, was really by Kevin Smith, who is a huge comic book guy, um, along with a director. So I, you know, I I think that he has, he's an informed opinion. Very, very, very much so. And, you know, I think his biggest critique on it was simply just that there wasn't enough heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and I would agree with that. But, I mean, I think it's really just you're setting up an entire set piece for two people just to beat the crap out of each other and us to not know how it's going to end type yeah. of a situation. Like Jurassic World. I mean, that's yeah. pretty much what Jurassic World was. You knew that dinosaurs were going to fight. That's pretty <laughs> that's much true. what it's going to be. Yeah. It's, it's going to pull on the heartstrings of all Jurassic Park fans. And I knew that going into it. And I'm not a huge Jurassic Park person. People will... I, I just get skewered for not liking Jurassic Park. But, you know, uh, Kelly loves it. And I, I kind of went into it with the same expectation. I'm like, I know she's going to appreciate it. And I kind of fed off of that. It was the mm. same thing with the Expendables. I just knew, I mean, when the, when the preview came for the first Expendables movie, I just turned and watched Kelly while, she, while we were watching it. Because I just wanted to see, I, I could tell there was just this giddy excitement that they were making something like The Expendables. Well, which which for any of you who are, haven't been listening to us for any period of time, just for you to know, Ben's wife, Kelly, is a huge 80s action I, Probably the most. Yeah, in the, the world. The biggest yes. 80s action film. I mean, I, I would put her up against anyone else. She's. I, I, I think I, I think I agree with that. Like, I mean, it's hardcore. She has um, a Rambo lunchbox. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, between fandom and uh, just sheer knowledge, also. Yeah, I mean, she's uh, watched yeah. pretty much every one of them <laughs> many times. Yeah. Um, so. No, but like, like the whole thing starting off really just Batman versus Superman. These two things that 
Um, these, well, these two characters that both people feel very passionate about. Um, you've got your Batman fans, you've got Superman fans. I was like listening to, you know, to some people talk ahead of time before the theater, and they were just like in it like, oh, this could never happen, or Batman to win, Superman to win, all this other kind of stuff. But I think that when we talk about stuff here in faith issues, like the Batman versus Superman level conversation that oftentimes happens in these circles is that dreaded conflict when we talk about science and spirituality. And um, and I host science v religion. Yes, science v religion. The dawn of dawn of conflict. If, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the dawn of fussing. And uh, fussing is the uh, easy word that we can put in here that we can actually be FCC over. Because <laughs> I think there's many other words that we could probably or adjectives, uh, Deadpool like that we could force many anatomically parted. Yeah, references and all of that thing when you begin <laughs> to talk about science v religion, but um, but it it is it's like um, well one of the things that, that I get I host like twice a month I host a gathering in in a local bar around here where we re- really the whole goal of it um is to bring different people to the table to have conversations about faith and spirituality and, and things like that and and one of the things that that I've seen time and time again is we'll have we'll have atheist folks that come in that want to just argue. Mm-hmm. Which is really funny because the, the the entire way that we have this this group set up is that everybody has a voice at the table and that we respect each other and that uh, every opinion is valid. So that's really like that's on the ground rules that we talk about every time before it. Uh, and I and I assume that they think that we're doing some sort of a church Bible study yeah. um, in a bar, uh, which is odd if that yeah. was happening. But maybe, yeah. And um, they're coming to kick your sandcastle over. Well, they do, and they get frustrated with me because I like to listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And and one of the biggest things that always gets pushed back is the fact that you have religious thought, and religious thought does not require. And this, and again, overgeneralizing, but these are generally the sentiments that happen. That there's a whole realm of faith and religion, and that really involves checking your brain at the door. Mm-hmm. And then you have science, which is all brain because it's always right type of a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like where the science is well thought out or it's meticulous. Sure, sure. Um, which is funny because if you were to probably get two different scientists that may disagree on something, um, that whole approach doesn't really work mm-hmm. in that conversation. Yeah, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and or the fact that you know things from ten years ago are pretty different now. I mean, maybe not completely different. There are some things that aren't not shifting in science, but a lot of times things are. Yeah, in, in flux. Sorry, and yeah, that was the end of my point. <laughs> it wasn't much deeper. Well, than and, and I think a lot of it comes back to there. There's just a huge argument um, that I, I I don't. Well, I guess my pushback with, with, with a lot of this is really just objectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, in any situation, whether we're talking about religion or whether we're talking about science, I mean, I think that you have to. Um, we're never completely objective. Yeah. About stuff. I mean, there's there's you're always going to experience bias. You're always going to experience. Um, culture and other stuff that that's feeding into your own psyche and into how you evaluate stuff. So there's, I mean, we are not we're not computers. We cannot completely be like robots when we evaluate stuff. There's there's just it's it's impossible. We're human beings. It could be your mustache, but you're sounding like Nietzsche. Oh, hey now, I'll twist. <laughs> if you can hear this, I'm twisting my mustache. It's gonna need no. to like triple in size, though. I mean, uh, that's I'll a pretty impressive mustache, but Nietzsche's was. I mean, it's like the largest yeah, mustache I've ever seen. I don't think I'm gonna get that much more volume. I could yeah. get more length, but I don't know if I've, I've quite. You have to use some like Pantene Pro V or <laughs> for for beards and mustaches. Some like moose. Um, <laughs> no, but but I think that that. And when we see this whole thing, and I think we, we end up having these two, this weird dichotomy where it's either you're either on this camp or this camp. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you either are religious and are stupid or you're scientific and cold. Yeah. And from the, yeah, I was going to say you can, you, you have the sort of religious and stupid, scientific and smart, but then sort of the flip side is you're religious and you have kind of heart and good morals and good motives. And then you're scientific and you hate everyone and you're militant. And, you know, we've seen, in some of the the pub theology gatherings, that sort of conflict as well. People coming in and saying all atheists hate God. Yeah. Oh. Um, or sort <laughs> of like about that one. Blanket yeah. statement of all you know. All atheists um, hate people, and you know they. I mean, it, it's 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 the same sort of generalization on both sides that they're yeah. set up as this kind of dichotomy that you can't be one or the other. I mean, you have to be one or the other. There's no like middle ground between the two. And and we've talked, we've talked to at great length about just kind of the whole narrative that goes on within the political realm too, of that. Um, well, is of the fact that dialogue is dead, mm-hmm. you know, it seems in America and it simply is just whoever can shout the loudest. Yeah. Uh, is really become the part of it. And I think that we see the same thing happening in conversations between science and religion. And, uh, and ultimately, what we're wanting to talk a little about today is the fact that they don't have to be mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. that you don't have to have one or the other. Uh, but the pure, the, the, what is it, the Pew uh, report, Pew, Pew stinky, um, uh, the Pew report recently did all this, this research, and uh, we will boil this down. Just to recently. Because, because yeah. And, um, well, the whole thing is when you begin to like read this kind of stuff on the Pew Report, what they really like, and again, they're statisticians. So Mm -hmm. everything you read is just going to be this whole barrage of statistics to the point where (laughs) they don't mean anything anymore the more you read it. Uh, but the one thing that I did pull out of the report is that they had said this, that, that they said most Americans, like 59%, um, say that science is often in conflict with religion. So this is, you know, it's a common, common factor. Uh, that that we bump up against here in America, and I think that that without really properly being able to delve into this more, that well, I mean, essentially, if you don't have both sides come to the table and have some sort of a of a conversation or a dialogue between two parties with mutual respect and uh, and also the mutual ability to listen, um, I think that both sides miss out. Yeah, and I'm throwing my bias on the table. Uh, being, Throw it out. Uh, I really enjoyed Hegel and Marx and um, Foucault, and so we've got to like look at where are these things coming from, where are these narratives coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, I do appreciate in this article from the Pew Research Center, they start out mentioning the Scopes trial, mm-hmm. um, and it, that's I mean that's a pretty important uh, historical moment for the United States because it's kind of the government having to land on one side or another when mm. religion still, I mean, Christianity was still a, a hegemony at that point. It was kind of a commonly accepted, you know, we're going to church and you go to church if you're a, if you're an American and uh, good Americans, you know, believe in God and, and this and that. And you have this uh, trial where a new, um, approach sort of Darwinian evolution as being pushed uh, in schools or, or, I mean, it's accepted by the, the scientific community. And so we're, you know, do we teach what scientists pretty commonly hold at this point, or do we kind of keep to our cultural mm-hmm. background and uh, scopes? I think I could be wrong, but I think to some extent represented um, more of a kind of fundamentalist Christian uh, background 
And I think what I think is interesting is before the Scopes trial, there were, I mean, there were some pretty nuanced arguments in, in the fundamentalist Christian camp. There was still kind of open dialogue. There were people in universities and in public places that were able to have those conversations. Hmm. Um, Post-Scopes trial, uh, basically in the Scopes trial, kind of the key moment, I think, and again, I might be wrong, but I'm, I'm trying to remember back to my American Christianity class, that... Uh, there was a, a key witness brought in kind of, I think it was uh, to the surprise of the, the, um, the fundamentalist Christian side and really embarrassed them in front of, I think they got like a, maybe a poor country teacher that wasn't quite prepared to get up and, you know, speak in front of people. And was it but, Franklin Graham? Maybe. Okay. Is he that old? <laughs> I was just saying I'm educated, but I don't know. Yeah. No, <laughs> sorry. I mean, he, so he, you know, he gets up and basically embarrasses the, the one side and, and, you know, as we all know, the Darwinian side kind mm-hmm. of wins out and that's being taught in schools now. Um, but it's, uh, what it's interesting is not to take like one side or the other in, at, at this point, but to, to kind of point to this as a formative moment for the way that science and religion the way that that narrative has kind of been funneled through that uh, sure. that lens. Because, I mean, there's so much more nuance to it. There are many more opinions and viewpoints on both sides that don't don't have to kind of channel through that mm-hmm. sort of moment where it's, you know, two sides. One is fundamentalist Christianity and the other is, um, you know, Darwinian evolution that... Uh, those are the only representatives of this debate. But that's Mm. where you do get that kind of diametrically opposed. It's historical. Mm -hmm. I mean, it comes from a very historical place. Well, and and I think that sometimes what what begins to happen is, especially in these situations, and we, we can look back to church history, you know, like the Spanish Inquisition, Galileo, all that other kind of stuff to where the, the church at the time was really authoritarian, mm-hmm. you know, to where whatever we say goes and any knowledge counter to this is, is heretical. And, you know, these, these ideas of having open ideas or new thought or research-based stuff um, ends up being having to almost push against this authority. Um, for so long, and I think what begins to happen, like especially like when you look at this in the scope trial, for for a situation or a mindset that's outside of the norm to be able to push itself into the mainstream, uh, it brings with it a, a lot of momentum to mm-hmm. be able to kind of break that that mold of that this is always the way it is. And then I think what begins to happen is the people that were pushing it don't stop pushing it, yeah. And then the other side that's being pushed against pushes back. You know, and so it's never about like, do they have something that we can learn from here? Well, you know, be, is there something to be gained from what's being taught here? Yeah, and I, I would even say that some of the um, kind of the Galileo and Copernicus and and those um, those conflicts fed into. I mean, certainly in the Enlightenment, and mm-hmm. you know, people began to. You know, I mean, some of the earlier Enlightenment thinkers were also Christian, but then you get some maybe non-Christian voices like Hume. Mm-hmm and skeptics and uh and and they do kind of point back to those times as you know where they're coming from to say look religion was suppressing thought Mm -hmm. so but it hasn't always been that way i mean religion really endorsed 
free thinking and science. And I mean, um, I'm thinking of, you know, SCOTUS and uh, even in kind of Persian culture bringing, I mean, really that's why we have like the documents of Aristotle and, mm-hmm. and um, various like math and science. And I mean, those happen under a religious umbrella as well. Um, so again, we do pick up on, and, and I'm not saying that there, there weren't conflicts, Galileo and Copernicus and, and mm-hmm. these different moments were conflicts, but I, th- I think it was still at that point more nuanced than just sort of religion versus science. There were, there were areas and moments where the two really kind of, um, flourished together and kind of moving into the, the modern age we have held on to those moments as, I guess, touchstones because, I mean, when you get to the Enlightenment, and I'm pulling on people like Adorno and uh, it's just some, I mean, like modern critics of the Enlightenment, um, that the narrative becomes this sort of, you know, religion wants to stamp out any any voice. It wants to be tradition. It wants to be static. It doesn't mm-hmm. want to be free thinking. And that... You know, we need to think as individuals, we need to, um, like David Hume, you know, we, we experience moments and we need, to, we need to be sure of um, the things that happen the most. So statistically, whatever is the most probable is what we can be the most sure of. Hmm. Um, that, that, that sort of stuff. I mean, John Locke, and there are different people, different voices kind of feeding into that. Um, and I don't know, just to say that, again, it it is important for us to remember that these, these uh, thoughts, these narratives come from a specific direction and that every part of the world and even every part of the Western tradition wasn't necessarily a part of that tradition, the sure. Enlightenment tradition, the Enlightenment narrative. Well, what begins to happen, though, I mean, we see, like, you know, because the hard thing is when we begin to look at history and look at the past, a lot of times we just see those like the the irregularities or the the blips mm-hmm. that happen in this, and those are kind of the things that we remember. Like you're saying, is that there was there was more nuanced conversation mm-hmm. in the process, and and then we arrive at where we're at today, right? Uh, where we are in what it feels to be a mess uh, when it be- comes to talk about these two things, and and you begin to see it playing out because uh, see the hard thing is this, you know, even when we say the words religion. Um, in America, it comes with it all of this baggage, right? You know, and and when you say science, it comes with all this baggage, mm-hmm. and 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 a lot of it it continues to be stoked uh, through politics and sure. and through different. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, you know, through churches and other stuff like that too, and and mm-hmm. so I think that we begin to have this this skewed view on what the path of faith or what the path of spirituality or you know what all that looks like, mm-hmm. uh, because you know we get, I mean. Again, we end up talking in extremes sometimes to prove our points in these situations. But, I mean, you know, talking about this whole thing of, like, rejecting science, I mean, you can look at, and we've talked about it before, but I, I recently saw that, um, and you may not know this, they're, they're approaching uh, almost being done with the uh, creation, or, I'm sorry, the ark that Ken Ham is building. <laughs> oh, my. Because, yeah. because it's amazing, because, you know, they're making a, I think it's not a completely one-to-one scale version of it, but it's uh-huh. pretty dang close. Wow. And um, that's a lot of resources. It's a lot of, re- <laughs> well, and you can get like, I mean, it was funny. Who I was talking with, gosh, I can't remember who was talking about this. And we looked it up online and you can get like a, 
a limited lifetime like you know attraction for your family to be able to go there and it's only three thousand dollars and you can visit all you want which limited like lifetime i think on their website was like three years hmm. um and then you had like real lifetime i don't know if they were selling it for eternity which if they were good christians they should have like that whole yeah. like eternal one because because man when you're in heaven all you're going to want to do is like ride on the ark the ark yeah and and Ken Ham's like no, but 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 when you look at people like Ken Ham, I mean, it's it's his version of religion. I feel like is actually clinging more to myth mm-hmm. than it is to having something that is alive and moving and and life feeding. Because the way he, for those of you know who don't know who Ken Ham is, he's one of those hardcore creationists, meaning that he believes the Earth is somewhere around four thousand years old, mm-hmm. uh, strictly speaking, because they they look at the Bible like it is a uh, science textbook to how the world was created, how old the world is, yada, 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 other things in between that. Um, I don't completely understand his frame of mind, and I don't want to completely get into his frame of mind. <laughs> um, you know, in that, of being able to look at the Bible like this, this like it's a historical scientific document. And, and so you get these like aberrations that are far out there, uh, but people cling to that. And, and mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, some of the arguments that religion says, uh, check your brain to the door. I think in those in those you know arenas, I think it does. You know, mm-hmm. and and I, but what I what I really do believe, and and I know it's hard to look at this because of all like the um, the racism and the religious rhetoric and all the stuff that gets swirled around. Um, well, especially uh, every Trump gathering, um, with huh. the, you know, or other stuff like that. All the stuff that's getting spewed around right now, it, it tends to make this point that these two things are not mute. You know, that these two things are at odds with one another. Um, and it, it makes that seem normal. Mm-hmm. You know, when you either have, like, the kind of liberal elite who are far off here and intellectualism is the way to rule, um, and then you again have these crazy fundamentalists where everything is just about the literal truth of the Bible. You know, and so, but, but I really do think that, that life is not lived generally in those extremes. You know, if we're talking about everyday people, if we're talking about everyday people and how they wrestle through this whole dichotomy between these two things, and um, I think you had a point. Is this I'm watching a, you scroll. Well, yeah, no, I was wondering if this was a good time to bring Nietzsche into the conversation. I think Nietzsche is, always has a place at the table. As soon as you said science uh, and religion, I, w- I really wanted to bring in the gay science. Uh, just, I, I really appreciate that I think for a while people focused on certain aspects of Nietzsche, kind of his critique of religion and mm-hmm. um, critique of uh, like kind of moral, you know, resentment and, and the way that Judeo Christianity had really dominated the way that the world was viewing morals at that point. But I, I've appreciated in the last like 40 to 50 years, you you're getting a, a bigger influx of his critique of science as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because he, he's a really interesting guy. Um, I mean, he was pretty well-versed in the science, scientific literature of his time. I mean, they were doing some interesting stuff with optics and, um, he lived in like the late 19th century. So you are getting closer to, I'm gonna, I'm not like a huge person on dates. So I'm sure that at some point you're getting like, you know, evolution and, uh, you're discovering a lot of different things about the world and the way that, you know, plants work and, um, animals and, and anatomy and people are like, that's when you start getting phrenology where people want to read the bumps in people's heads and mm-hmm. just all kinds of interesting theories about the world. Um, but he, he writes this book called the gay science that, 
I think it's meant to, and science for him, I think ultimately uh, he wants, it's about like knowing. Um, so we think of science as this like method, you know, that we're uh, trying to be meticulous and learn about a certain like part of the world and, and, you know, validate theories and things like that. But one thing that I really appreciate he brings up in, in here, and you, you said you were talking about uh, the way that people read the Bible as like a scientific textbook. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's interesting, Nietzsche kind of catches on that there's kind of a blindness to both religion and science because mm-hmm. they're sharing a common assumption. And I'm just going to read this little uh, line from the gay science. Um what is good-heartedness, refinement, or genius to me when the person who, ha- uh, who has these virtues tolerates slack feelings in his faith and judgments, and when he does not account for the desire of cer- for certainty as his inmost craving and deepest distress, as that which separates the higher human beings for the, from the lower? So mm-hmm. I really think that's kind of the heart of it, is that people want to be certain, and that's... yeah. Absolutely, in my opinion, one of the main assumptions, one of the main kind of um, uh, inheritance, the the big inheritance we get from the Enlightenment. And and it's not just uh, science, it's religion as well, I think, draws on this need, this like kind of inner assumption that we have to feel certain about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where you get that kind of dogmatic, emotional you know, this says this, it says it in English, you know, there, I mean, there's already covering over the fact that it's been interpreted from, you know, a place and a context and and another language where day might mean many different things, but no, it says it in King James English that it's a a day and a day means a day. Um, And so I'm, I'm referring to the kind of, you know, the way that people date things they want to say, when it says, you know, and then there was night and then there was day and that was the first day that in English it says day. So that's what it means. And we're we're just going to stick with that. We're certain about that. Whereas, you know, other scholars say, well, I mean, it could mean various things, because if you go through the Bible and find different accounts of that Hebrew word, it is I mean, it's poetic. It's stretched in different ways and it can, and it can be a metaphor sometimes. You know, it can mean different things in different contexts. Mm-hmm. But again, coming from that assumption that we need to be certain about this, you don't start asking questions, you don't go for ambiguity and poetry and, and those sorts of things. You try to find something that you can cling on to uh, and be certain about. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting because I don't, people, I think people want to see science and religion as diametrically opposed, but I think in some ways the way that it functions is they're really similar. They can be really similar to one another. No, well, so would this be a correct summary of I was just kind of taking notes from how you were you were saying this that especially like in um bouncing off Nietzsche. I mean, so you're essentially just trying to say here that like religion and science are really fundamentally about knowing. Or and even more so it's about really knowing what's not known. Yeah, and I would I would kind of bringing in Adorno again. I talked about him a little bit ago, um, and Horkheimer. This sort of they they wrote a book called The Dialectic of Enlightenment, and they're I mean then they're pulling on Hegel as well. I'm just throwing these names out in case people are like curious about these ideas. They can go and you know listen to other podcasts or read about these guys because they have really interesting things to say about this. That 
the enlightenment and and when I say enlightenment, generally that's where we get kind of the idea of the sciences from now. It's mm-hmm. this idea of kind of having a method and um, you know, seeing things for oneself and being sure about what you're seeing. And it is and what Adorno and Horkheimer say and Hegel and other people have said is that yes, the enlightenment is about knowledge. It's really about dominating the world and dominating knowledge, um, dominating the world through knowledge. So Mm -hmm. the more we know about something, the more control we have over it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you get, I mean, these, the longer it goes on, you start to bring in, I mean, politics and economy, and you can see how tricky it gets when you try to start controlling things through what you know about them. Well, I think that that also what begins to happen in both camps of that is the more that we say that we know, um, I think it leads to just this this grand hubris about how we kind of really just uh, experience the world. Like we, yeah. I, I know yeah. what I need to know. I figure this out, and it's as simple as that. I mean, it's you know the whole even. I mean, this even kind of goes back to ideas of bigotry or other things like that sure. too, where you're yeah. able to say I can sum this up very very easily, and and I think that when you we look deeper into the nature of knowledge. Uh, I, I would say this goes for um, it, whether you're talking about science or religion. You know, the more I know, the more I know that I don't know. Can I just stop right here and, you know, the more you know. <laughs> Sorry, I had to like. From NBC, yeah. <laughs> da, da, da. Yeah, um, I, think, I think that's absolutely Nietzsche's point is that there's a hu- there can I'm not saying that all scientists are arrogant. Um, and I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't even say that all, you know, religious people are arrogant, but there there can be a tendency and there there might be a strong tendency in both camps to arrogance to like mm-hmm. a blindness a hubris um because it's right you know you feel like okay i know about this there's no need for me to kind of track back and see where this has come from and i mean at least in my very small experience i'm only 30 years old but in my very small experience in life, I've seen that with people. Mm-hmm. They're not interested in, in kind of going back and seeing where this comes from. They just, you know, you read a book, you read, someone writes a book that has a PhD or an MD or whatever. Someone writes a book that has a, a THD, a doctor of theology, and the ideas sound good to you. So you just kind of buckle down in that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think that what begins to happen when we talk about just knowledge in itself, um, and you you were hitting on this earlier, and, and I think that that whole idea of us being able to have certainty, mm-hmm. um, certainty gives us feelings, you know, of, of control, mm-hmm. uh, control against the chaos of unknowing, you know, out there. And I think that not knowing scares us. You know, not knowing means we don't have answers to certain things that are going on. And, and it ultimately comes back to just a, and you see this in both areas, into, into this whole need to control our environment, mm-hmm. whether that be control our spiritual thinking or whether it be controlling the world around us and how we look at it. But I think that the, you know, the greatest leaps forward in either of these camps happens when we realize we don't know, mm-hmm. and it sends us exploring. Um, and I think just the heart of science should always send us exploring. I think the heart of religion and faith should send us exploring. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that both of these are the starting place for journeys, and I don't think that they have to be, you know, to where I go north for this one and south for this one, right? You know, type of type of a type of a thing with that. And and I think that what gives a lot of this this whole argument a bad rap, and usually in most situations, it, it's 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 the few. Mm-hmm. 
It's the oh, kind, sure, it's, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's the, the loud voices. It's the arrogant it's the few. Wheel. It's the people that have the power that push it on other people. Yeah. Um, in either camp. Um, you know, because we, like, that's, I mean, that's one thing that we get here, because we are called Snarky Faith Radio, is the fact that um, I get really ticked off at Christian bullies. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be bullies about, I know this and you don't, and you're wrong and going to hell, mm-hmm. comma, stupid. You know, that, that kind of a mentality. Or if it's even Christian bullies uh, the, over, like, the cultural or social landscape, which I'd mentioned them earlier. You know, like, like the Franklin Grahams, those that are out decrying other people. Again, saying, I have the knowledge and the right to do this because I'm enlightened and you don't. And I'm doing you a favor by tearing you down. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting hearing you say that, also thinking that I, I feel like there are some really good starting points on both sides that from at least from Christianity standpoint, really a lot of religions, it I think it, it's meant to come from a place of humility. And really, uh, science, I mean, I've, from the, the scientists that I know would say, I mean, science tries to not put a cap on what it knows. It, it tries to leave things open-ended to say, I mean, that's that like a pragma, pragmatic pragmatism um, it's an American tradition and philosophy, and I think it comes from that kind of scientific background that we're not just going to close it off and say, okay, we know everything we need to know about this, but to always say we can get better, we can do more. Um, so I, I think that there are some like good starting points in there, but the tricky part is if I think even that in and of itself, just because you can point back to that doesn't mean that you're being humble. And that doesn't mean that you are leaving things open-ended because when you just uh, come into a question or dialogue and say, there's nothing, you're saying nothing of value. Mm -hmm. I've already decided that whatever you're going to say is not worth listening to. Yeah. Then, I mean, you pretty much have made the move that you know all you need to know about something. Yeah. You pass judgment and you've said, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, and then I'm enlightened enough to be able to dismiss everything that you are uh, speaking about or standing for. Yeah, so I, kind of as an example, I'm, I'm going to be topical. I'm like never topical on this show. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be topical. So the other day I was talking with someone about Brussels, and they just kind of leapt in with, a, you know, this is religion. Rel- this is what religion does, basically, that mm-hmm. sort of argument. And... Uh, and and obviously religion is an element in what happened. I mean that's undeniable. But I, I feel like just to fixate on religion as the problem, sure, just glosses over so many other things that are happening pol- politically, economically. I mean there there had to be conditions that were created um, or conditions that existed to bring that conflict into mm-hmm. motion. You know, just by just saying religion, you're kind of abstracting everything else out of the equation. Sure, yeah. Um, now, obviously, religion is a, is a factor, but if it were just religion, then, I mean, how can you sort of gloss over all the other nuances of religion that happen in, in the world and, I mean, good things that, you know, different religions do for people? Um, and so it was an interesting conversation um, and obvious, again, uh, I'm not saying that, um, you know, religion didn't play a role, but, you know, you could, you could say the same thing about politics. You could say the yeah. same thing about science. I mean, on the way over here, I was listening to um, uh, an NPR broadcast on, I'm, I can't think of the name of the drug, but it's an opioid. And that's a huge thing now, how opioids, while they do have a great benefit in 
we're able to do certain types of surgeries and things to be able to heal people. Then they become addicted to these drugs mm. and, you know, through no fault of their own. And then they're left. I mean, do you want to live addicted for the rest of your life on an opioid? Mm -hmm. And so again, it's a double edged sword. I mean, sure. You know, uh, technology has brought us things that allow us to, you know, live longer and, and, um, potentially maybe live fuller lives, but then they also have bad consequences as well. And well, so we shouldn't just kind of gloss over and say, you know, science has given us medicine. And so, you know, and we're thankful for that. Well, I mean, well, if you think if you're going back to Brussels and I mean, I'm not trying to be crass with this whole idea, but I mean, again, the idea of building bombs and being able to collude using cell phones and drones and emails, and, you know, yeah. but no, but yeah, all that kind of stuff. What is that? That's not I mean. There is religious fervor here, but there's also a lot of science and technology. Sure, yeah, absolutely. You know that that has been able to be brought forward, and um, you know as much as you can say that there's been a lot of heinous stuff in the world done based upon religion, which mm -hmm. the, you can we can make a long list of that. Yeah, sure. Um, but I mean, I think again, I mean, we can look back to stuff like building an atomic bomb. I mean, things like chemical warfare. Mm -hmm. You know, to where we've where science has gone in the directions of of areas that you'd like to say, like, should we? Yeah. Or, you know I, mean? I mean, or even, you know, uh, to the, uh, I mean, we have the availability of like foods and travel yeah. and things like that. But then you have, I mean, just massive amounts of carbon going into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even more insidious ways that science affects the world. I don't, I don't want to say that again, I feel like once you start jumping into kind of blanket, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. there's nothing good or there's nothing bad about this, mm -hmm. then that's when you get into that kind of hubris moment. But um, I mean, well, and like what you're trying to say is too, in, in any given situation where you have humans involved, mm -hmm. you know, I think that there there is a confluence of many different factors mm -hmm. that go into behavior and things that happen within that. And, right. you know, when we begin to say, I mean, because again, you can say religion is a thing. Science is a thing. It's simply an object. It's not good. It's not bad. It's a thing. Um, but usually what happens is what do humans do with it? Mm -hmm. And that's when we get complicated. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I mean, I think that, you know, religion in itself, like to be able to read the Bible or the Quran or any of these things in themselves, uh, again, human, you know, products that have been passed down from human to human over generations like that too, but it's still a thing. And, and I think ultimately it comes back to what do we do with those things? Right. You know, to, to the impact, to the damage, um, like you mentioning, even though, you know, we have the ability right now and it just got me thinking about this. I mean, um, the two things that we don't talk about in these, uh, in this argument is like the, just the general power structures of the world. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, again, if you were able to say, okay, well, let's look at the Christian faith. Well, the Christian faith says that we should be out feeding the poor um, and finding answers for people that don't have clean drinking water, or you could say stuff like human trafficking, going getting people out of that. Well, then at the same time, you can also go back to saying is, well, is there stuff within science that can help us do these things? You know what I'm saying? And, and so I think that, that some of this is being able to have... Um, well, I think that there are just certain power structures, and again, it could be hubris, it could be greed, it could be capitalism, it could be all these other things that actually end up hopping in, I mean, I don't know, like hopping in the religious seat or hopping in the science seat and taking it into other areas. Because again, I mean, if these are simply just kind of objects that we're talking about that are neither good nor bad, it's really what we do with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that we judge uh, religions or we can judge science, we can judge these things based upon what people have done with them. 
um, as opposed to just being able to have a blanket statement saying good, bad type of things like that. If that makes sense. What I think is unfortunate is now that you've framed this in the Batman versus Superman <laughs> way, you're not going to be able to bring resolution without spoiling the movie because I haven't seen it. So how are we going to bring resolution? to Well, this? are you trying to say, okay, can we go to the, like the Avengers now? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I mean, if, if you're kind of going with this and yeah, which one is it? Is it Batman? Is Batman religion? I would say Superman would be religion and Batman would be more science. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, again, I haven't Ish. seen the movie. I'm just going off the trailer, but or at off least, just the comic book world. One of them is more kind of, I mean, Superman is definitely much more godlike and Batman is much more human. Uh, I think in general. Now I always, one of my pet peeves was that people would say Batman is the most believable comic book character. They never liked Spider-Man. They would always criticize Spider-Man because you know, Oh, it's this guy that has all these powers out of nowhere. You know, Batman, he trained and he had, you know, his parents were killed, Mm -hmm. but I mean, who goes around the world in like 20 years and learns every martial art to like the highest ability? Come sure. on. Yeah. And that guy gets beat up so much in the comic books and comes back from it every time. Yeah. I mean, you never, you would never see, well, I guess there, I think there are kind of moments where he has like a Batman with a disability. He's got like a hobbled knee or something like mm-hmm. that. But I mean, for the most part, come on. Th- those are not, those realistic. are just sprinkling there. Or if you're even talking about like the, if anyone's watched through, Daredevil that they have like on Netflix now, it feels pretty grounded in reality in many uh-huh. ways. Yeah. But if you think hard enough or not even think that hard at all, you're just like, how does this guy handle having his, his, well, his ass beat every night <laughs> and recover from that and yeah. move on? Or, you know, he just has great abilities to heal, which I don't think is part of his superhero character. No, not Daredevil. No. Not. He, he just had like some chemicals, science sprinkled yeah. on his eyes. Little little <laughs> uh, trivia about Daredevil, actually. Okay. The creators of Daredevil, I think, meant it as a spinoff of. No, no, no. I'm going to get that backwards. The creators of the Ninja Turtles were. It was meant as a spinoff. So when um, he, you know, when he's a young man and the barrel of like toxic waste or whatever sure. jumps in his face. Yeah somehow miraculously like missing him and gets in his eyes. Uh, that is the waste that goes into the sewer and creates the Ninja Turtles. Is that, is that, is this, are you making this up? No, this, I'm pretty, That's I'm really almost funny. certain yeah. Eastman and Laird meant for Ninja Turtles to be made from the same ooze. That's that, funny. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny and interesting. Uh, And we actually saw, which I had to have my kids just completely confirm this. There's a third Ninja Turtles movie coming out. Thank you, Michael Bay. Don't get me started. And I mean that with heavy sarcasm. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I just saw that and I was like, "Is this like the second, third, or fourth? And they're like, "Dad, it's the third. And I was like, "Oh." Because they all look exactly this. I don't yeah. know. Just... If, if anyone can just absolutely like kill my childhood, it's Michael Bay. He yeah. just has, I mean, he destroys beautiful traditions. <laughs> I'm not saying he's never done anything well, but gosh. But uh, nothing comes to mind at the moment. Not really. Um, yeah, that's pretty true. Sorry, Michael Bay. So I'm sure he's listening right now. So yes, after we had had a few episodes ago talking about what saints are, we will just say in the cinematic universe, Michael Bay is probably going to hell. If we want to get judgmental <laughs> about this, creatively at least. This, the Screen Actors Guild version of hell. Yeah. Whatever yeah. that is. Or just the Snarky Faith version of hell. Um, Broadway? <laughs> no. <do> we, maybe <laughs> not. 
I don't know if that's where people are relegated when actually I have, I have a lot of respect for people who can do st- theater. So yeah, you just offended a lot of people by somehow <laughs> comparing actually... Michael Bay to Broadway or hell to Broadway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Either way, I don't think people would be happy. Maybe the, Oh, I know. No better. Strike that. I, I want to erase what I just said. Um, how about like straight to VHS? Okay. That's, that's hell for a uh, director. Straight, straight to VHS. Gosh. I haven't even like I haven't even thought of the words VHS in so long. Yeah. Or straight to DVD, I guess. No. Straight to video. Straight to iTunes. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know with that. No, but I think just like being able to kind of begin to center this this conversation a little bit, which has kind of been it's been fun in the process. But we we had another article that was called um See, it was by Carolyn, uh, is it Gregory, that uh, is called Conflicts Between Science and Spirituality Are Rooted in the Brain. And what was really interesting was what they were doing. We've talked about like this um, and other stuff. We talked about confirmation bias. We've talked about how there's like a conservative brain mm-hmm. um, tendencies and there, there can be liberal brain tendencies. And some of this that we so vehemently are, are fighting against are actually just tendencies in our own brains. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're fighting against something uh, that, again, I'm making it sound very simple. And like we said before, you know, confluence of many factors go into yeah. these things too. But um, but but we're one tripping th- over our own hubris right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, th- this radio show is brought to you by hubris. The more um, you know, or but, don't um, know. No, but what I liked about this, they had um, they really kind of summarized the entire article up in this by saying. You know, um, our dialogue around religion would be more productive if scientists respect the insights that religion can offer, and if religious individuals respect the insights that science can offer. And and I think that ultimately, you know, the more and more that we walk down these roads, I think that we need to be in a place of being able to share ideas uh, respectfully. And, um, and in essence too, because I mean, I know like most of the times when we see stuff like this, like our, our Batman versus Superman or our religion versus science, we see it in debates. Mm-hmm. You know, how often are they like having like creation evolution debates or all these, we, we love having these debates because again, we want one side to win. Yeah. I mean, you're already, so, I mean, so many people are already situated on one side of made their mind up. Like this is the way it is that then people can kind of pick sides to benefit from that to say, look, I know that you, this is how you feel about this. I'm going to win for you. I'm going to be your champion. You know, science will win the day or be our gladiator. Religion will win the day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and and I just, I just think that those kind of mentalities, and again, I think it goes back to tribalism and how we like to be able to have our own team to cheer for, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and things in the mix of that. That's what basketball is for. (laughs) Uh, Final four coming up. That's right. You got any picks? I, I gotta I gotta go with Carolina, but um, you know, I'm I'm being trying to be grounded in that by the time you get to the final four, I mean all the teams are very Which actually I, I which actually I think by the time the show airs, the final four will have happened. Yeah, so I might look kind of not smart at that point, but I don't know. Oh, that's know. never I'm, stopped us before. Yeah. I Looking mean, not smart. <laughs> I, I can't my heart and my brain both are gonna go with my tar heels. Gotcha. Is that founded on science or your faith? Uh, actually, the statistical probabilities are in their favor as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I, we, we're both. See, it doesn't have to be one versus the other. It, it can be both. 
Well, I mean, I think that so. I mean, being able to to get constructive with all of this, these ideas that one that inevitably the way the world works is that you're going to see the world one way. I'm going to see the world one way, mm-hmm. um, which know, is very Nietzschean, by the way. Yeah, and Nietzsche is very happy right now in his grave <laughs> with his giant mustache. That's <laughs> yes. Yeah, so do mustaches break down in the grave? His does not. Okay. I'm sure of it. It's, it's like Let's go dig him up, and I'll prove it. It's a good science. <laughs> you you need to start a comic book that's just simply just based on Nietzsche's mustache. Mustache. Yeah. There is there is an existential uh, comics like they're the philosophers are all heroes. It's not quite as funny as I thought because mainly it just brings in they just kind of shout out their uh, they'll be in some weird situation like they're all playing poker or soccer or something and they'll all shout out their like arguments that they wrote in books but but it's not that funny uh i mean some, it's like, sometimes it, but it's not xkcd funny okay because you, you you know what i mean like there is a and i've been accused of this by a few people is that and i don't have the heart to tell them this they're like you, you don't really laugh a whole lot mm-hmm. like or I'll, i have like apparently i don't know this is, but I've, a few of people i know refer to this as i do like a silent laugh mm-hmm. where i kind of just smile and silently laugh type of a thing. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, you just, you never laugh. And I don't have the heart to tell them you're just not really funny. Yeah. You know, I know, you know what I mean? Like there's like laugh out loud, funny. And then there's like, Oh, I'm intellectually amused. Yeah. Or I'm amused at you trying to be funny right now. Well, let me give, but this isn't really funny. Let me give a tip to all the viewers or the listeners. If they're going to play cards against humanity with Stuart, (laughs) make sure to play the bathroom cards for him. (laughs) You'll win it. (laughs) You will win it. The either the the really sex or bathroom cards, and you'll you've got them. Which is essentially every card. <laughs> That's true. In cards against humanity. Every once in a while, you get one like Oprah sobbing into a lean cuisine or something like that. But yeah, I'm yeah. I, I guess I guess the more demented ones are the ones that make me laugh from yeah. other people. I mean, I I, I can't say anything. I I laugh at pro- probably all of them. But um, I don't even laugh when I play them. I just laugh at them. We'll ha- we'll have to have a show. I don't know how we will do this. That somehow involves us playing Throwing cards out. against humanity. Now, you know, I don't know a, how that works. There yeah. there is a version, and it's uh, I think um, Herman Hess, maybe or no, it's it's just Moby Dick quotes quotes from Moby Dick that are the cards. Yeah, I'd I'd really like to play that at some point. We will. I will make it happen. So actually, as we've been <laughs> babbling on, I've just realized that we are getting to the end of the show. And do you have any last summarizing thoughts, my friend? Um, I mean, we Moby Dick is a trans, from a transcendentalist author, and I think they were all about what do we do with science and religion. So well done, kind of a nice well landing done. point. And I think I would just say accidentally. I think that like ultimately, for for people to understand one another, I think you have to be able to live in some sort of community. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're able to share thoughts and ideas and life and experiences and other things like that, as opposed to having, like, importing two different people in order to have a conversation that have, right. you know, really nothing invested in the conversation. Yeah, and have already typed out their arguments yeah, and are ready to um, kind of yell them at one another. So if anybody else can figure out how to make these things happen, um, <laughs> write us, talk to us, because we try to do it in small ways around here in the community where we live, but I think that, you know, more dialogue, um, more humility... Uh, and more empathy for other people is is the recipe to be able to navigate these crazy, crazy waters because I think that both sides have plenty to learn from one another. And bigger mustaches. And bigger mustaches. Hopefully by the next time you hear me, my mustache will be bigger.
Mm-hmm. And uh, I will be working on that. So as we get to the end of this broadcast, just a reminder, you can catch us on podcast uh, at www.snarkyfaith.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Give us shouts out. Uh, and if you've got the time, hop on iTunes and drop us a review as well. But we are out of here, and that's all we've got this week. We will see you again next week. Bye. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Aqueduct Conference Centre was established in 1978 as a peaceful destination for small group meetings, special events, conferences, retreats, and weddings. For more information, go to www.aqueductcc.com. We are also sponsored by Lumen. Lumen a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be better than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.